Romans chapter 1, I want to read just a short passage of Scripture and then kind of look at something. Uh, this being our mid-year missions emphasis, I thought it might be uh, prudent if we talk about the missionary mindset. What is the missionary mindset all about? And uh, so let's notice here in Romans chapter 1, I think we'll be able uh, to see a few things from the Apostle Paul and our Lord this morning. In verse number 8, the Bible says this, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Now let's just stop here for a second, because this, this drew my attention this morning as I read it. Notice what he says. He thanks God through Jesus Christ that their faith was spoken of throughout the whole world. Isn't that a great testimony? That would be my prayer for Battlefield Baptist Church. That people, when they think of Battlefield, they would say, man, that's a faithful people. They love the Lord with all of their heart, with all of their soul, with all of their mind, with all of their strength. Man, they, they love missions. They have a missionary mindset, just not a, 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 a missions heart, but a mindset that seeks to do God's will. Let's continue on in verse number 9. The Bible says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of His Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request, if by any means now at length, I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift, to the end ye may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise, so as much as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your word, because your word is truth. And so, Father, I pray that today that you would flow through my lips in a mighty way, that I might step backwards so that you could step forward and your son might have the preeminence in everything that's said or done. Certainly, Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart today would be acceptable in your sight because you are my strength and you are my redeemer. God, I'm thankful for the gift of music as we sang about the victory that we have in Jesus Christ, as we think about the opportunity that we have to follow Christ into a world that needs Christ. God, I pray that we would buy up that opportunity. Today, as we look at your word, I pray that you would uh, speak to our hearts, that we might be encouraged. But God, not only would we be encouraged, I would pray that we would be challenged with this idea of having the missionary mindset, a mindset that seeks the good of others and less of self. Father, we pray that you'll have your will and your way during this time. Certainly, I pray that if there's anyone in this room that has never trusted Christ as their Savior, that it would be more than words. It would be an opportunity today, a call to action, that somebody here in this room, if they've not done so, that they would place their faith in a risen Lord. 
in the Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for husbands and wives, marriages and families, for grandpas and grandmas and aunts and uncles to be restored to a right relationship, not only with you, but God, with one another, and that people would see Jesus living inside of us. Certainly, we pray that your will would be done above all, and we'll be careful to give you the thanks for it. In Jesus' most precious name, and for his sake, amen and amen. Well, I was thinking this week as I, last Sunday I started putting this message together, and I was thinking, you know, to really understand someone, you really got to know what influences them, don't you? Have you ever met somebody in the marketplace, you're out shopping or whatever, and you come along somebody and you just immediately strike up a friendship with them? They're, they're cordial to you, you're cordial in return, and, and you walk away and you think, man, that's somebody that I could get along with. And I was thinking about this idea of having a missionary mindset, and I was reminded that to really understand somebody, aside from whether you can get along or not, to really understand somebody, you got to know what influences that person. What is it that drives that person? What is it that motivates that person? And I think in our scripture this morning, we can see in this short passage what motivated, what moved Paul, what, what compelled Paul, what energized him in his walk of faith. I think we can see that. You know, aside from the Lord Jesus Christ, I would assert that the Apostle Paul was probably the greatest missionary who ever lived. And I know there have been some great missionaries down through the quarters of time, but I would assert that he was probably the greatest, aside from our Lord and Savior. And you know, I heard this saying years ago. Someone has said this. They said, to say missionary and to say Christian is to say the same thing. Think about it. To say missionary and to say Christian is to say the same thing. But I come back to the question, I would say, hey, what influences me as a Christian? I mean, what is it that's really driving me? I mean, you know, I get up here and I tell everybody, and I do it in my daily walk as well. It's not something, by the way, there shouldn't be a public life and a separate life. You know, as the pastor, I ought to be preaching and teaching what I live. And so I tell people all the time, I say, man, we just need to get out and love people. And some people will misconstrue what I'm saying. But here's what I say. We need to be willing to love people enough to share truth with people. You see, because all love and no truth is a hypocrite. But all truth and no love is a bully. I ran into a few of those in school. Maybe you have too. I remember the bullies in the schoolyard. They used to bully. And they weren't filled with love. But we have an opportunity to share truth and love with people we come into contact with. So ask ourselves. Ask yourself today. Hey, Lord, what is it that motivates me? What's really moving me? What is influencing me? By the way, I would tell you that you're going to be influenced by what you read, by what you put in. See, what you put in, it's invariably going to come out. If you're putting in a lot of uh, HGTV, then HGTV is going to come out. You're always going to be a, doing a project at home. The bathroom will be renovated. And then husbands, I got news for you. The wife will tell you the kitchen needs to be renovated. <laughs> Stan's like, I know I heard this. I'm I, living this. And so, uh, and not that Donna watches a lot of HGTV, but uh, the reality is whatever we put in, that's going to come out. I've often said this, and, and I don't mean to really be uh, vulgar because I don't want to be vulgar, but, you know, sometimes what we put in comes out of our lips. We've got to be careful. Got to be careful because guess who's watching? 
Not only is the Father up above watching, but those little whippersnappers that are running around. Whether you run into them at Walmart, the grocery store, or maybe they're your grandkids. They're watching, Grandpa. They're watching, Grandma. Dad, Mom, they're watching what you say. They're watching what you do. And by your very life, how you live is communicating a message. I'll get to that here in just a moment. And so what kind of Christian missionary are we? As we think about this missionary mindset, do we truly have a missionary heart? And if not, why not? I'm thinking about, you know, we're here a couple weeks removed from Easter. And, uh, you know, after our Lord's resurrection, you know, the women came Sunday morning to the tomb and the angel and then Jesus Christ both instructed the women. Uh, they said, go tell the disciples to go into Galilee to see Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 28, we realize that the 11 disciples, they went away into Galilee. And verse number 16 tells us that they went up into a mountain in where Jesus had appointed them. And verse 17 says, and when they saw him, they worshiped him. But notice what verse 17 says. But some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. And we know this is known as the great what? Okay, let's say that with a little bit of excitement. Nobody likes it, but let's say it again. This is known as the great... Yeah, we, we don't like that, right? It's like uh, Ephesians chapter 5. Submit one another to the Lord. We don't like the great submission either. We, we don't like the great submission. We don't like the great commission, but it doesn't change it one bit. This is what's known as the great commission. And folks, if our Lord's message to his disciples back then was to go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, his commission is still the same today. In fact, you look around the room, we put the letters back up, and we find in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, we find that Jesus said, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Listen, our Lord wants us to do that. It's not just for the Apostle Paul. It's not just for his disciples of old. In fact, I was, I was reminded of the great missionary to China, Hudson Taylor. He once said, The Great Commission is not an option to be considered. It's a command to be obeyed. After I was thinking about that, you'll notice here in my Bible, you'll see at the very back where, you know, it's got the maps and everything. In the very back, you'll see I have written something in here. These are the words of the great missionary, uh, Bob Hughes, who went to the Philippines years ago. Bob Hughes' uh, son-in-law is now the president of the Baptist Bible Fellowship International, Brother Eddie Lyons, and and uh, his daughter there, there in Springfield, Missouri. But in the back of my Bible, and I'm going to read it from here, I've written down his words. And he, he said this one time. Bob Hughes said, Why do you need a call when you have a command? Why do you need a voice? See, a lot of people are waiting for God to speak to them. Oh, oh, I still don't hear him. Why do you need a voice, Bob Hughes said? When you have a verse that says, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel uh, to every creature. Listen, as Christians, we have been sanctified and set apart for a purpose. And I can tell you this, God takes pleasure in using a holy vessel. 
Think about this again. He takes pleasure in using a holy vessel, a vessel that has been set apart for his use. And so many times we wonder, God, how come you're not using me? I've asked you to, to use me to lead my cousin to Christ. The question is, are you living for Christ in front of your cousin? You see, your cousin needs to see Christ and his word being spoken to him. Notice with me in verse 14 and following again in Romans chapter 1. In verse number 14, notice what Paul says. He says, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so this morning, very quickly, I want us to notice three statements that I see Paul making here in this text. Verses 14, 15, and 16. Three blanket statements that he makes. And then I think we'll get a better understanding of what influenced him. You say, well, why was Paul such a great missionary? Well, first of all, the Lord had changed his life. This is a guy who went, I, I, many times I say, this is a man who went from murderer to missionary. The Lord had changed his life. He had been transformed by the Lord Jesus Christ. But I think someone with a missionary mindset this morning, for you note takers, someone with a missionary mindset understands their obligation. We're going to understand our obligation. The Apostle Paul understood it, you know, over the past couple weeks. I've actually been highlighting, and this will be kind of... Uh, uh, re-going over some things on Easter and then last week I was reminding you of the I am statements that Jesus makes right in just the gospel according to John you notice and and there are a lot of things that he refers to and we understand he's the great physician and and all these things but he says in John's gospel he says I'm the bread of life he said he was the light of the world remember he said he was the door he was the good shepherd he said he was the uh, the resurrection and the life in John chapter 14 he said I am the way the truth and the life and then in John uh, chapter 15 he said he was the true vine if you go over to the book of the Revelation by the way I want to encourage you to read the book of the Revelation you'll be blessed by reading it but if you go over to the book of the Revelation Jesus proclaims he says I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And if you actually look in Revelation chapter 1, verse number 18, Jesus Christ also says, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and of death. You say, why do you share what Jesus said about himself? To contrast what the Apostle Paul believed about himself. Notice back at verse 14. You see, Jesus says, I am this, I am this, I am this. And then the Apostle Paul, he had a right uh, understanding of who he was and the obligation that he, said, that he had. And he says these words, and I'm going to break this verse down for you. He says, I am debtor. What he's saying is, I am someone who owes. I am indebted. I, I am owing both the Greeks, the cultivated crowd. He says, I owe the cultivated crowd. He says, also the barbarians, the uncivilized crowd. Man, hey, we've got the cultivated, the cultured crowd today, and we've got the uncivilized crowd. He says also, he says, I'm indebted both to the wise, those who were seeking wisdom in his day. He says, I'm indebted to them. And then he says this. He says, I'm also indebted to the unwise, people who aren't very smart. <laughs> he liked the people who weren't very smart. Go figure. Paul realized that he had a personal obligation to, to seek the spiritual well-being of every person that he could. 
I think about Ephesians chapter 3, verse number 8. Not only did Paul say he was a debtor, but in Ephesians chapter 3, verse number 8, he said that he was less than the least of all saints. That was his estimation of himself. The Apostle Paul understood that he was under great obligation. And I want to tell you that if you're going to have a missionary mindset, you are going to understand your obligation. As a Jew, Paul felt obligated to the barbarians. As someone who was well-educated, Paul was an intellectual man. But you know, he also says he didn't come with excellency of speech. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, he says, I, didn't, I came to you not with excellency of speech. He says, I didn't come to you in my smarts. I came to you preaching Christ crucified. That's a, that's a dangerous thing in Paul's time. And uh, we would do well, though, to have that same missionary mindset. I think about the Apostle Paul. He was indebted to Christ. He was indebted to the ones that went before him. In verses 1 through 4, you can see that. I think about our situation today. I look around. I'm amazed at how much we have been blessed. Over and over and over, despite how many live. I was reading in the, in the Baptist Bible Tribune last week. Randy Harp had an had a, uh, uh, article in there, the new editor of the Tribune. And he was talking about that we live in a culture today where a lot of people trust God, but they live as though He does not exist. Does that sound familiar? A lot of people are saying a lot of stuff about God. Oh, I trust God. I believe in God. I, I worship God on Sunday. But then on Monday, we stop worshiping Him. On Tuesday, we, we, by Tuesday or Wednesday, we've forgotten to even pray to Him. By Thursday and Friday, we are hungering and starving to be back in His house worshiping Him again. And I dare say there's some people that don't even starve to worship Him. Listen, this is the culture that we live in, but we have been blessed by His Word. We have been blessed by this beautiful creation. And whether you like the cold, uh, chilly air this morning, man, isn't that sunshine amazing? Oh, I'm reminded of the beauty of His creation. I'm also reminded that He has blessed us for those who have placed their faith in Christ. He has blessed us with the gift of new life. His blessings also include this country that we live in. Oh yes, things seem to be waxing worse, but man, we ought to be thankful for the country we live in. We ought to be thankful for the church that He has blessed us with here on this hill. By the way, it's His church. It's not my church. It's His church. And so we ought to be thankful for that. And then we have this opportunity that we had today to come and to worship Him and to learn more about Him. All these things did not just happen. As Christians, just like the Apostle Paul, I am a debtor. My wife is a debtor. We are debtors to Christ. We are debtors both to the Greek, to the barbarians, to the wise, to the unwise. Listen, it's no different. And so I think if we understood and had a better estimation of our position, that we might understand and go forth with this missionary mindset a little bit more. I put down here, Paul realized that everyone, and when I say everyone, I mean everyone, he realized that the up-and-outers, the down-and-unders, the wise and the unwise, the educated, the non-educated, the young, the restless, and the old, the rich and the poor, he realized that everyone needed the gospel. And so Paul says, I am a debtor. And the reason we have the decorations up, the reasons we put the banner back up that says we have a story to tell, like I said, is to remind me 
to remind you that we all have this missionary obligation. I put down here the reality of the Easter's invitation is that it requires every believer to adhere to Easter's imperative, which is to go and to be witnesses for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, in Scripture, it's a lot of people go, oh my, when they hear the Great Commission, because it's a mandatory obligation. That's not a very popular thought. But the reality of life is that we are either taking steps to cultivate a missionary mindset, or we are taking steps in life to cultivate a disobedient mindset. Oof. I'm sorry I had to say that, but it's true in my life and it's true in the life of everyone in this room. Either, either Greg is cultivating that missionary mindset today and tomorrow and Tuesday. And by the way, I'm covered with the same stuff you are. So guess what? There are days that I do not cultivate a missionary mindset. You know, because sometimes I choose... It's a four-letter word. Sometimes I choose self. But we ought to be cultivating a missionary mindset, not a disobedient one. Secondly, someone with a missionary mindset not only understands their obligation, but a missionary mindset, someone with a missionary mindset is going to take advantage of the opportunities. Notice what verse number 15 says. The Apostle Paul says, So as much as is in me is I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Here we see that the Apostle Paul has a readiness of mind. No matter what difficulties may lay in his future, he realized the Lord was going to put opportunities in his path. I think about the Apostle Paul. You know, most of his letters were written from a place called prison. He had a missionary mindset even while he was in prison. He had a mindset that said, I'm going to buy up the opportunities. Thomas Edison once said this about opportunities. He said, opportunities are missed by most people because it's usually dressed in overalls and looks like work. Let me give that to you again. Some of you just caught the end of it. He said opportunities are missed by most people because it is usually dressed up in overalls and looks a lot like work. You know, my granddaddy wore overalls. I remember going out and visiting him, and there was one thing I realized about my grandpa Corcoran. We would show up in Illinois, and my grandma would be at the house. But my grandpa Corcoran would never be at home when we would show up. Normally, back then, Illinois was a two-day drive. Today, with advanced speed limits, most people can make it in a long day's journey. But I remember we would stop halfway, and then the next day we would roll up to Grandpa's house in southern Illinois, usually at about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And for my Grandpa, he was out in the field working. My Grandpa, he was a sight with his overalls, very rarely wore a t-shirt under it, so you can go ahead and put that little image in your, in your bank. And he'd have those overalls, and he'd have a big old straw hat. And you know what I found about my grandpa? The Lord blessed the work of his hands. He had strawberries when I was a kid. There's pictures of me where his strawberries looked like tomatoes. They were as big as my face. And when I found out something else about my grandpa, he always had dirt all over his hands. His fingernails were chalked with dirt because he was busy working the field. 
He was busy trying to provide for his family. He was busy because that's what was influencing his life. The Lord had influenced him and told him that he needed to be working. My grandpa was a great man. He led the song service. He couldn't sing very well, but he led the song service at his church his whole life. It was a little, little small conservative Methodist church, probably the size of maybe the first 10, 15 rows here. My grandpa would get up and he would lead the song service every Sunday until he went to be with his Jesus. Can I tell you, we need to have a missionary mindset. We need to buy up the opportunities. The Apostle Paul said he was ready. He was ready to do that. He knew that every day was a new opportunity, a new chance to share Christ. Let me, let me clear up a misconception. A lot of people say, well, I don't do that. I don't have a missionary mindset because I don't have oratorical abilities. I don't have intellectual ability. I don't have the physical stamina or the physical ability. And, and pastor, I'm not a man of means. I don't have the financial abilities. We'll join the crowd. The reality is there is only two things that you need. Dr. Gary Gray used to say this all the time. He said there's two abilities you need, availability and dependability. That's what Jesus is looking for. You're here today. Just make yourself available. And then you want to be faithful, just be dependable. Be dependable and the Lord will work through you. I ask the question, can we honestly say that we are ready to pray, to continue praying for our missionaries? Maybe you're here and you've not got involved with the missions uh, uh, program here at Battlefield where we are supporting uh, 110 missionaries now. I believe we're at 109 or 110 missionaries as of this past Sunday. Maybe you're not financially supporting. Maybe you're not prayerfully lifting these missionaries up. Man, would you consider doing that? But also, we need to also, missionary mindset requires us to be ready to go out and actually share Christ with our family and friends and co-workers a lot of people say, well, why was Paul so ready? Why was he so ready to, to buy up those opportunities, as you say? Well, because he realized verse number 16. Know what verse, notice what verse number 16 says right there. It says, the gospel, it says, it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. I think about John chapter 4, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He said, say, say not ye that there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. He said, Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look unto the fields, for they are already white unto harvest. I was looking up, uh, doing some research last week, and I noticed that the International Bulletin for Missionary Research produced its State of the Globe uh, report on religious statistics for the year of 2015. They concluded, thankfully, that Christianity is actually still growing. In fact, in some parts of the world, growth was dramatic and explosive. Parts like Asia and Africa and South America, the growth, they said, was overwhelming. And then I was reading an article that uh, was put out in the Washington Post in May of 2015 entitled, Think Christianity is Dying? No, Christianity is Shifting Dramatically. This was Wes, uh, Wes Granberg Michelson's article, and he stated these words. He said, a century ago... 80% of Christians lived in North America and Europe, compared with just 40% today. Did you hear that? A century ago, 80% of Christians lived in North America and Europe, compared to 40% today. Beginning in 1980, more Christians were found in the global south and the north for the first time in a thousand years. 
Today, the Christian community in Latin America and Africa alone account for one billion people. Over the past 100 years, Christianity grew from less than 10% of Africa's population to nearly 500 million today. One out of every four Christians in the world presently is an African, and the Pew Research Center estimates that that number will grow to over 40% by the year 2030. Not too far away, folks. Asia was also experiencing enormous growth as the world's Christianity center has moved not only south, but it has moved also east. Over the last century, Christianity grew at twice the rate of population in that continent. He goes on to say, he says, Asia's Christian population of 350 million people is projected to swell to over 460 million by the year 2025. The global religious wild card, he said, is China. He said, even today, are you ready for this? This caught me off guard. He said, even today, demographers estimate that more Christian believers are found worshiping in China on any given Sunday than they are in the United States of America. And every one of you all just went, whether you said it or not, you said, oh, wow. Oh, my. Why is that? Tell me why that is. I can tell you. I'm not a rocket scientist. I can tell you, though, that the reason is many believers have not taken up the opportunity as we see the Apostle Paul when he said, I'm ready to preach the gospel. Many believers have forgotten that we owe a debt to Jesus Christ and that we are bought with a price. And so that's why the numbers are diminishing. I always like to use this example. Who likes to go to the beach? Anyone? Only three of you like to go to the beach. The rest of you are liars. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I could take or leave the beach. I'm not much of a sand person. I'm more of a mountaintop person. I like to see the sunset coming up over the mountains. I like to see it sunset down. I will tell you, when we were in California in February, it was amazing seeing that sunset out over the Pacific Ocean. And to know that my wife and I had gone as far as we could possibly on land, and we were standing there watching the beauty of God's handiwork go down. And trusting that the very next morning, on this coast, it would rise again. Oh, what a wonderful Savior we serve. But I'm always reminded about this missionary mindset, get to my point. Is you know, like sometimes you're sitting on the beach, and if you're like me, you're either going to have a big blanket or a big towel because I want to stay away from all that sand. Now, I don't mind putting my feet in the sand, and I'll go down to the ocean and do those things, but my wife knows the beach is not my favorite place. And so I'm usually that guy that has the big umbrella over me, you know, with the hat and the cover on so that I'm not burning up and everything. But you know what? I believe believers have gotten a, a, a poor way of thinking going on. We get concerned with our towel on the beach. We get concerned with our little snacks that we took out to the beach. We get concerned with our little sand castle that we're building on the beach. We get concerned with the little starfishies that are right there in front of us at the edge of the water and the, and the waves that are right in front of us. And we forget all the grains of sand that are around us. We forget the people who are down on the beach down to our right, the people that are to our left. We forget those people. 
Guys, a missionary mindset realizes and takes advantage of the opportunities that the Lord puts in our path. There's a popular saying out there, and I want to debunk it today, but I want to do it as gently as I can. There's a popular saying, it's on Facebook, it's on Twitter, I'm sure it's been on Instagram. And you say, wow, pastor, you're coming along. You're really connecting with social media. You've got all the, the names down. It's commonly actually asserted to Francis of Assisi. And it goes like this. Preach the gospel. Maybe you've heard this. Maybe you've even posted and agreed with it. Preach the gospel at all times. And if necessary, anybody know the rest? And if necessary, use words. This is a saying that is going around. It's commonly attributed, like I said, to Francis of Assisi. And I want you to know that I agree with, with a portion of that, with the bulk of it. Folks, I believe that we need to be living our lives in such a way that people are going to be pointed to the work in the person of Jesus Christ. But I want you to say, I want you to know, and we dare, we dare not allow Satan and this world and the wisdom of the world to lull us to sleep. Because the Bible still requires us to be sober, be vigilant, because our adversary is a roaring lion. He walks about seeking whom he may devour. I'm also reminded in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. But it's also important to note also that in Scripture, if we're going to listen to this quote, if we're going to listen to this quote, we have to be reminded of what Scripture says. Because see, the quote says, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Well, I started thinking about that, and so I looked up every New Testament word that is used in the Greek for preach. And in the New Testament, there are five different Greek words that are used to describe the idea of preaching the gospel. Let me tell you what they mean. Here's this. Number one, to proclaim and promulgate, to declare. Number two, to herald as a public crier, especially divine truth, the gospel. Number three, to announce good news, to evangelize, especially the gospel, to declare, to bring glad tidings of the gospel. Number four, to talk, that is, to utter words, to preach, to say, to speak. And number five, to herald thoroughly, which means to declare, to preach, to signify. So in response to the aforementioned quote, I like what Dr. Ed Stetzer, pastor, teacher, and now he's the executive director of Lifeway Research, he said, and he wrote these words, he said, here's his response. Preach the gospel, and since it's necessary, use words. Preach the gospel, and since it's necessary, use words. He went on to say this. He said, the gospel is not habit, but history. The gospel is the declaration of something that actually happened. And since the gospel is the saving work of Jesus, it isn't something that we can do, but is something we must announce. We do and should live out its implications. But if we are to make the gospel known, we will have to do so through words. You see, a godly life should serve as witness for the message we proclaim. But without words, he says, what can our actions point to except ourselves. A godly life cannot communicate the incarnation. A godly life cannot communicate Jesus' substitution for sinners or the hope of redemption by grace alone through faith alone. We ourselves cannot be good news, but, he says, we can herald it, we can sing it, we can speak it, and we can preach it to all 
who will listen. I like that. I'd say he did a pretty good job of breaking it down. You know, in Psalm chapter 126, verse 5 and 6, the Bible says, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and bearing precious seeds shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. In Psalm 96.3, the Bible says, Declare His glory among the heathen and His wonders among the people. In Proverbs 11.30, my predecessor used to always say it all the time, The fruit of the righteous is the tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. We must, we must take advantage of the opportunities. And then finally I close. I think a missionary mindset also, like the Apostle Paul, I, I believe a missionary mindset realizes that there will be opposition. There's going to be opposition. There's always been opposition to the good news of Jesus Christ. In verse number 16, though, notice what Paul said. He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul was fearless. When we think about the gospel in his time, I mean, this is crazy. I don't know about you. I don't know how we would have fared in Paul's time. Because you see, the message of Christ in his time had a very different connotation than it does today. Today, we see people, they wear crosses. They tattoo crosses. We, we exalt the cross. We lift it up. And, and we bring a focus on the cross. But in Paul's day, the cross was the most shameful way to die. And yet Paul was going out preaching Christ crucified. It was a shameful thing. And so people were like, the Greeks are looking at Paul. You want us to put our faith in someone who actually died that shameful death? Listen, it had different connotation. In Paul's day, Jesus was either a madman at best or a criminal at worst. Romans hated the Jews and vice versa. Crucifixion was the lowest form of death. And yet he was not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. No matter what opposition he faced, he was faithful to proclaim the gospel. On Wednesday night, I want you to turn, as I close the message, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, because on Wednesday night I shared just a summary statement. A lot of people say, well, what kind of opposition did Paul face? I mean, if he realized there was opposition, what kind of opposition did he actually face? And so if you don't know, you don't know. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he just gives us a little snippet of what he went through. And yet we find that he was still not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Notice what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. He says, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors, more abundant, in stripes above measure. He's talking about being beaten. He says, In prisons more frequent. In deaths oft, of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. I was beaten five times within breath of death. This is the Apostle Paul. Verse 25, three times or thrice, excuse me, he says, I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times or thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and day have I been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen. They even hated him. He says, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches who is weak, and I am not weak, who is offended, and I burn not. 
If I must needs glory, he says, I will glory of the things which concern my infirmities. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forevermore, knoweth that I lie not. How amazing is this? Just in this short passage that we can see the Apostle Paul's passion and his dedication, his missionary mindset, that he was not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. He was not ashamed of the person. He was not ashamed of the purpose or the power or the plan of Jesus in his life. To Paul, Jesus was the Son of God, God in the flesh. We find that in John chapter 1, verses 14. By the way, he still is on his throne. He is still God of very God. To Paul, Jesus' purpose was the same as his. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. The apostle Paul says, I'm ready to preach the gospel. The same thing that Jesus was all about, that's what I want to be about. Is that what we're doing? To Paul, he realized that the power of the gospel was what truly transformed lives. You see, to Paul, he was on that Damascus road one day. He was headed to persecute Christians, and his life was changed. If you've never had that happen to you, if you've never had that moment where your life has been changed or transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, I pray that you'll do that today. It's not something I can do for you. It's only something that you can do for yourself. You can realize that Jesus loved you so much that He died in your place. And that He did that to give you forgiveness of sin. Oh, listen, I truly believe that God wants you and I to be used with this missionary mindset to work in and through us that His desire and His plan to give new life, as verse number 16 says, to everyone that believeth. Oh my goodness, we ought to be going away from this place, understanding our obligation, taking advantage of our opportunities and realizing that there will be opposition. Paul said, I am debtor. He said, I am ready. He said, I am not ashamed. Now, how do we think about all that? I don't know. I don't know where you are. But I got one more I am statement for you. You remember I shared with you in the Gospel of John everything that Jesus said. I am this, I am this, I am this. How comforting is that? But I think the most comforting words that I could offer to you today, you may be here and you may be a little nervous about going out and being ready to preach the gospel. Your life may not have matched up to that message, but you know what? In Christ, you can do all things because I have one final I am statement and we find it back in that great commission. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, notice what Jesus says, and I close. He says, I am with you always. Not only am I all these things, not only do I never change, not only will I never leave you nor forsake you, as Hebrews 13 tells us, but he says, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen and amen. Listen, we can go out understanding that we are debtors. We can go out ready to share the gospel in love with people. And we can go out with confidence. There's no need to be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. In fact, it's easier today, really, to share the gospel than it was in Paul's day. Some may disagree with that, but I look at Paul's life and I'm reminded that I have not been stoned. I'm reminded that I have not been left shipwrecked. I'm reminded that I have not been beaten five times within a breath of my death for sharing my faith. Oh, would you not? Would you not pray and ask the Lord to give you that missionary mindset today? I pray you will. Let's pray.